end of Luke. 5, verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friend of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lydia. Good evening again. <laughs> My name's Eleanor Jeans. I'm the associate vicar here, and it's great to be able to uh, speak as we think about uh, these words from uh, Luke's gospel um, on fasting. Let me just get the pronunciation right. Not fasting, fasting in my mind anyway. Let's pray before I say something I regret. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you um, for um, this opportunity to journey through the gospel according to Luke. And as we look at this passage now, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Lord, take my words and those that are from you, may we hear. And those that aren't, may we uh, forget them. So Lord, help us as we uh, look at your word now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jonathan said, we're thinking about uh, this uh, passage um, in the series of going through the gospel according to Luke. This morning, we looked at the passage before this, all about uh, Levi and the call of Levi. And uh, what we find in the the passage before this is that um, Jesus is beginning to turn things upside down. Um, Before that, we've already looked at, at Jesus healing a leper We've seen him forgiving sins. We've seen him um, eating, like we did this morning, eating with tax collectors. And all of these things were pretty unheard of. He was turning things upside down. Because in the passage before the one that we heard, sorry if you're hungry now, I do apologize for putting that picture up there. Um, in, In the passage we've looked at this morning, we were thinking about this banquet, that this party that Jesus had with quite a lot of tax collectors. And it's a party that, if we look at it, really shows something about what's coming, the new covenant, the new kingdom, a new age that Jesus is ushering in. In some ways, it's a sign of the banquet in the new heaven and the new earth. And after this, we get the passage that we've heard uh, this evening, whether it happened exactly straight afterwards or whether it was a little bit later, Luke chooses to put it in this place to bring that contrast, that that connection as well between them. And we we see these questions that are asked of Jesus by a group of people. And there are two parts really to this passage. We're going to look at both parts. We're going to look at fasting and feasting. But we're also going to think about the second part of the passage when Jesus tells this parable about new wineskins. Um, So we'll think about both of those, and then we'll just think very briefly at the end about how they all link together. So firstly then, let's have a think about fasting and feasting. 
What we find out in this passage is that those who are, are speaking to Jesus are saying, but we've seen John's disciples, we've seen the disciples of those who are following, those who are following the Pharisees, we've seen them. They fast and pray, but your disciples, Jesus, those who are with you, they're not, they're eating. What's going on? What's it about? And isn't it appropriate that we've ended up on this passage on the first Sunday of Lent? It's like it was planned. It's amazing. And so what we're going to think about today is that whole idea of fasting and feasting. These people had seen Jesus' disciples feasting with the tax collectors, and maybe that in itself was something they were trying to work out for themselves. They were asking what was going on. They wanted to understand. And then we have Jesus' response. And and at first glance, it appears that in Jesus' response as if, As if he's trying to say to them, well, don't bother fasting. But actually, he's not saying that, is he? When we look at the words that Jesus says, these are the words in verse 34. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Well, first of all, I don't know whether you've ever done this, whether you've ever gone to a wedding and decided, do you know what? I don't feel like a free meal. I don't feel like celebrating um, my friends who've just got married. I don't think I want to sit down at a table and get all the free drinks. I think I'm going to fast instead. Ever done that? No, that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? It would be a bit rude, Uh, especially for your friends. They'd be thinking, hang on a minute, I've just paid a lot of money for you to eat this meal. You're going to eat it. But that's sort of what Jesus is saying here. Now, why would you fast when the reason for the feast is with you? Because Jesus, of course, is the bridegroom. So why does he say all that he says? Well, let's look, first of all, then, at why fasting was something that was was taken very seriously at this time, at the time that, that this passage is set. And, of course, it's something that I believe we maybe need to take a little bit more seriously than we do ourselves. We'll find out as we look at some passages in Scripture that fasting was a sign. It was a sign of all sorts of things, uh, mostly individual, but some corporate. Here's just a few of them. The first one is humility. When we look into the Old Testament, we see that uh, fasting was a sign of humility. Here's Psalm 35. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. And then we see in Ezra chapter 8, these words. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So there's something there about humility and humbling yourself before the Lord um, in fasting. But we can also see other things. Uh, We can also see uh, fasting in terms of guidance and, and waiting and asking God to act So, for example, in Acts chapter 13, so in the New Testament, we read this. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Fasting is about asking God for guidance. We also read this in Exodus chapter 34. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, 
the Ten Commandments. So there, Moses was spending time in God's presence, fasting from food and water. And um, through that time, he chiseled, I guess, the Ten Commandments on those stones. But then there's another way, and one that maybe when we think of fasting, what certainly I think of when I think about fasting, and that is repentance. So we can look into the Old Testament, into Joel 2, which says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. There's a sense of repentance in fasting. And then in Daniel chapter 9, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Actually, if we went on further into Daniel in that passage, we'll see Daniel coming before the Lord in confession, in repentance. And um, we can see in all of those things, can't we, just the the variety of ways that fasting might um, happen and the reasons behind fasting. And of course, there are lots of others as well. But what Jesus is telling us here is that fasting was for when he was not with them. That's what he was telling his disciples and those around. Because Jesus says in verse 35 of our reading, But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. So what we need to hear here is that Jesus is not opposed to fasting. He did it himself. He did it on the, um, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 days. And actually, if we look in other parts of the Gospels, he even says, when you fast. He's not prohibiting it. But at that present time, when Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the one ushering in the kingdom of God, when Jesus was with them, then they should be feasting. That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus was saying that he wouldn't be with them forever. And at that point, it would be appropriate. It would be appropriate to fast. Why? Well, in anticipation of his return. Just for a moment, have a a picture in your mind of what is awaiting you in eternity. Just picture what is awaiting us. What is awaiting us is a wedding banquet. Jesus, the lamb, the bridegroom, the church, us, his people, his bride. And what is awaiting us is a banquet like no other. Just have a look at these words from Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. His bride, that's us. And then a couple of verses later in verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. What is awaiting us is a wedding banquet like no other, a heavenly banquet. In eternity, there will be no more fasting only feasting. And Jesus was telling those asking him that the reason the disciples were feasting was because it was like they were experiencing a foretaste of that wedding banquet. 
However, that was only temporary. And in less than three years, we know that he would leave them and go to prepare a permanent place for them in eternity. And once that happened, well, then they would fast. So the disciples were feasting while he was there. But they and us had so much to look forward to when they met him in eternity. I love this quote that I read. It says this, During this time, we have the opportunity of working up an appetite for the eternal banquet. Isn't that a great quote? So when we're fasting, that's what we're doing. We are working up an appetite for the eternal banquet. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I am looking forward to that day when I will be with my Savior around that table. So what we can say then is that Jesus isn't rejecting the Pharisees' way of living. He's not rejecting the fact that they are fasting. He's just saying, hang on a minute, wait, because there will be a time when you need to. So we might be sitting here this morning, or even this evening, actually, thinking about it, um, and we might say to ourselves, well, should we fast? Should I fast today? Should I fast during this Lent? Well, are we waiting for Jesus' return? The answer is yes. Do we need to repent? Yes. Do we need to grow closer to God? Yes. Do we want to ask God for mercy and guidance? Yes, we do. Do we need to humbly come before him as individuals and as his church? Yes, we do. And so if the answer to all those questions is yes, then surely the answer is that we should be fasting. When Jesus speaks about fasting in Matthew 6 and the importance of doing it in, in private without loads of people knowing, he says, when you fast... So there is a sense that Jesus is saying this is something he would expect people to do. But he doesn't say, if you fast. But he also doesn't say, you must fast. So although it's expected, it's not a rule. But I think we can see that it's a good thing to do. There's a classic book. Um, here's a picture of it on the screen. There we go. I've got a very old version. <laughs> Very old. I don't, I don't actually know when it's printed, but it was £1.50. So there you go. <clears throat> no more of those, is it? Unless you buy it on Marketplace or something like that. But in this book by Richard Foster, Richard Foster, a brilliant book. I really recommend it to you, Celebration of Discipline. He says these words, Certainly we have as much, if not more, evidence from the Bible for fasting as we have for giving. Perhaps in our affluent society, fasting involves a far larger sacrifice than the giving of money. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, when we start thinking about it. He also says these words, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the, the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciples who long to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So fasting is a good thing to do, but I do need to give a health warning about fasting. If you have any health conditions, you need to get some advice from a health professional before you uh, do anything about it. Secondly, if you have a difficult relationship with food, please be really careful. Thirdly, and this is for all of us, we need to think very carefully about why we might be fasting. 
There are diets out there, aren't there, that use fasting and five and two and things like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that is a different type of fasting. This is fasting which is putting God first. It's not about trying to get yourself into a, a bikini, um, as uh, Jonathan said last week, and I said that would take me two years. Um, it's not about that. Dallas Willard says, fasting is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. It's about focusing on God. So what about having a go over Lent? I remember a friend of mine and myself uh, decided um, to fast one lunchtime a week uh, during Lent many years ago now. And instead, we prayed together. And it was amazing. It was so encouraging. So how might you go about doing that? Well, if you're not sure where to start, I've printed out some fact sheets from 24-7 Prayer. Those are available. If we don't get enough, we can always uh, print some more. Um, so do take one if you would find that helpful. But remember, it's about the Lord. It's about coming before him and focusing on him. You might want to start by simply missing a meal and, and gradually building up to 24 hours. You might think through other ways that you could fast. If you're unable to do a fast from food, for example, whether that might be fasting from TV or social media, something which takes your attention away from God so that you are putting God first. That is the sense of what it's about. But remember that this fasting is filled with longing because we know that Jesus came and will come again. So this is an anticipation of the heavenly banquet. So that's, um, you'll be pleased to know that that's a longer section, thinking about those first little bits of the reading. We're going to think very briefly about the second part of this reading, which is all about new and old wine and wineskins. Those are wineskins, in case you're wondering. They do look a little bit like hearts or something like that, but they are meant to be wineskins. That's sort of what they look like, apparently. So what we find in response to all of those questions about fasting is that Jesus tells this parable um, as a response, this parable about wine and wineskins. And there are two bits. There's one about cloth and the other about wine. Now, you might not know about me that I'm a bit of an amateur sewer. I say amateur because that is true. Definitely amateur. I've made a few basic items. I, did, I didn't make this dress, but I have made a dress, and it, it, it doesn't fall off, and it fits, and ish, and all of those things. But I know that if I try and patch up an old top by cutting up a new top, and I'm trying to sew the two together, firstly, I've ruined the new top, and secondly, it's not going to match. And actually, it's sort of, it's going to come away because the cloths are different, they, you know, they've been washed different amounts of time and things like that. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here when he starts talking about the cloth. And then when it comes to the new wine and the new wineskins, well, this is what he's saying. He's saying um, that the wine needs a new wineskin for these reasons. Uh, when wine is first uh, uh, fermented, it's partially fermented, and it's called, are you ready for this? The must. I don't know if anyone knew that. I've learned that this week. And the must was scored, stored in wineskins. But as the, the fermentation process continued, it, produces, it produced more gas. And so it stretched the wineskin, which was made from the hide of a goat. 
And an old skin, uh, which was no longer elastic, uh, couldn't stretch for the new wine. And so if you put new wine in an old wineskin, basically what happened was that the wineskin couldn't cope and it would explode and you'd lose the wine. We don't want that, do we? It's a little bit like if you had a balloon and the balloon had been blown up and then you tried to add more air. You know what's going to happen, don't you? It's going to go everywhere. There's something about a balloon when you blow it, you can see it expanding. It's that sort of sense. And in both of these points, Jesus is saying that there's no point trying to fit the new into the old. You need all of Jesus' ways. Because Jesus was ushering in a new kingdom. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So new wineskins were needed for this new wine that he was bringing. And it needed new wineskins because what Jesus was bringing would need stretch and growth. It's interesting if we look at this passage because the, the word new comes eight times, just in those couple of verses. And Jesus is trying to get those listening to understand that with his coming, everything would be new. Now, newness is a quality that God brings to our lives every single day. Each day is a new start. It's, his mercies are new every morning we read in the Old Testament. Each year we find a new grace Every day is a new day, different from yesterday. But let's face it, we know that there's a fear in the new, isn't there? We're used to our old ways, especially when our lives are built around the old way, which is why Jesus warns his hearers that those who taste the old wine will not want the new. The old is better because they're used to it, and it tastes good. Just think for a moment about something that you get that's new, whether it's a new phone or a new app, or your phone updates itself, oh, and everything's in a wrong place, and it takes you a while to get used to it. Think about how people, especially in the last century, had to cope with new things almost every minute, bit by bit, all of these new things. That's the sort of sense that Jesus is speaking into, but with Jesus it's different, because with Jesus comes new hope. With Jesus comes new possibilities. And he was saying to those who were listening, that's what we need to think about. What we see in Luke was that Jesus was turning everything upside down, even in chapter 5 alone. But I want to remind us that even now Jesus is doing a new thing. We have 33 people doing Alpha here at St. Paul's. When I was in Nepal last term, I met a Nepali um, Christian, a pastor, and every week nearly, he's sending me pictures of people who've given their lives to Jesus at their church service that week. And this is in a, in a place where there were no Christians until they moved there, and there's a church of about 50 there now. So encouraging. Jesus is at work. He's still doing a new thing, and we need new wineskins to enable us to stretch and grow. Now, this passage is not about uh, justifying everything that we might do as a new thing, because Jesus also tells, we're also told in the Bible that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Jesus is at work. And we need to be ready for this and not necessarily stuck in our old ways. And the challenge for us is to see where in the church and maybe in our own lives, we're living as if Jesus doesn't make a difference 
as if Jesus hasn't brought the new and isn't doing a new thing. I do believe that's a challenge for the national church as well. Where might we need to ask God to help us so that we're not stuck? We remind ourselves quite regularly that we are a people who are following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Does that make a difference in our everyday lives? Are we living as if Jesus makes a difference to our lives? So finally then, these two little sections of this passage, they are linked. Jesus responds to the question about fasting and then tells this parable. And the fact is, isn't it, it's very easy to stagnate. It's very easy to become an old wineskin, to become, if you like, unstretchable. And what Jesus is reminding us here is that we need to be open to stretching for the new wine he has for us as individuals and as a church. This is about stretching as we follow Jesus. And it's through uh, disciplines such as prayer and fasting that we can learn to be more open to this. Sometimes we try to patch up our lives with sort of half efforts when, when a, a deeper challenge is required. Prayer and fasting are a wonderful way for letting God communicate with us what it is that we need to change. God can do more in us than we can ask or imagine. We know that from Ephesians chapter 3. So I want to encourage you this evening to let him direct you. Listen to him, because he can be trusted. And Jesus invites us to be made anew, to let go of anything that might hold us back, that might um, impair our ability to receive the good news of who Jesus is. So I'm going to put a question on the screen, and this is um, what we need to remember. Are you ready to be stretched like a new wineskin? That's stretching not as in, you know, doing activities and things like that. It's, are you ready to be stretched, to allow God to be at work in you by his spirit so that his new wine can be part of your life? It's good news, this. Fasting is a great thing to do because it helps us to focus on who God is in our lives. And as we do that, maybe God will stretch us. Maybe God will stretch us to become more like him, but so that we can be receptive to what he has for us as individuals and, of course, as a church as well. Can I invite you to stand with me if you're able and can I invite the band uh, to come back? In a moment, we're going to sing um, a song. And the first line of the song is this. I can't wait for eternity. Love those words. They're already singing. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. And of course, those are the words of the angels in eternity. And I want to encourage us um, as we uh, sing this song to focus on what is awaiting us. There is a heavenly banquet awaiting us. Let's uh, fix our eyes on who Jesus is. Let's pray before we sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the bridegroom and that we, your church, are your bride. 
Lord, we ask you to help us as we uh, try and fix our eyes on you, as we focus on you, whether that's through fasting or whatever it might be, those spiritual disciplines, particularly over this Lent. And I ask that if we need to be stretched, that you would stretch us in your grace and your love and your mercy. That we would be new wineskins, willing to serve you, be full of your spirit and worship you in every single moment of our lives. We can't wait for eternity. But Lord, help us as we serve you and live for you now to live in the light of what is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.